Father in heaven, I pray that all those on my left and all those on my right will spend eternity in heaven. And I pray that you will bless us on our journey, that today we will hear words that come directly from you. We will receive ideas, thoughts, and emotions that are from you, that you will make meaning of the passage we study today, and that our lives will be changed for eternity. We ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we are continuing our study of Jesus' message entitled the Sermon on the Mount. We have been for a number of weeks now in the Beatitudes, and we will conclude that section of the Sermon on the Mount today. So chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There are four basic ideas in these verses. The first is being persecuted. It's being persecuted, though, not just the normal wear and tear of humans being rude and cruel and mean to each other. It is for righteousness' sake. Any person who is a little different than others know what persecution is like. Anybody who's moved to a new town knows a little bit of persecution. We have a tendency to pick on, bully, and be mean to people we either don't know or who are different than us. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about being persecuted for righteousness' sake. And he places this on purpose in the order that it is. We began the Beatitudes by learning that the poor in spirit is referring to that individual who recognizes they have nothing to offer God for righteousness, bankrupt, empty, got nothing, I need a Savior. That person has the kingdom of heaven. And then as we proceed, we discover that this is an unfolding reality of the Christian experience. The mourning that people are comforted from is referring to the great sense of pain our sin has caused others, ourselves, and especially God. The cost of Calvary, and it brings its grief. Then we learn that To be meek is not something you try to do. It is a byproduct of walking with the Lord. And then we learn that those who are experiencing this will hunger and thirst after righteousness, and they will be filled. And as we moved on, we saw Jesus talking about being merciful, and we learned that that means trying to get into the skin of another person and look at life through that vantage point. 
The pure in heart was singular, single purpose in service of God, a, a metal that was pure. It's not amalgamated with impurities. And then peacemakers, striving to be peacemakers. It almost seems unusual that immediately after that, Jesus would talk about being persecuted. Being persecuted for righteousness' sake. So the person who is experiencing God and the type of level Jesus is talking about <clears throat> will be blessed greatly by God if they're persecuted because of their walk with Jesus Christ. Another point that is made is he says, blessed are you when you are reviled, when people say all kinds of evil against you falsely. So persecution could have a number of different faces. It could be everything from being killed in the name of Jesus or for the name of Jesus to somebody lying about you, saying all kinds of evil things about you, all because of your walk with the Lord. Jesus says, rejoice. You have a great reward in heaven. And here again, we're reminded that this life is temporary. The one to come is eternal, and that's where we need to keep our focus. And Jesus said that should we suffer persecution, we will be associated with the prophets who were before us. Now Jesus speaks of this in greater detail in another portion of the book of Matthew, in chapter 10. And I'd like you to turn there, please. In Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew 10, he has 12 apostles. He gives them instruction and he sends them out to preach. They're on a preaching tour, if you will. And when we come to verse 16, he has some very specific things to say to them. Verse 16, he says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Jesus says, your task is a dangerous task. You are like sheep being sent out in the presence of ravenous wolves. Sheep have no chance against a wolf. A wolf is very strong, very powerful, and very animated to destroy, to kill, and to eat a sheep. So Jesus says, this is a dangerous mission I'm sending you on. He said, I want you to be wise, though. And he uses the idea of a serpent. I want you to be wise as a serpent, not like a serpent in character, but wise to opportunities, alert to dangers. Be harmless as doves, but wise as a serpent. This is a dangerous thing that I'm sending you on. Verse 17, he says, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. Now, councils here, he's referring to the local courts of justice. Every community had one. And Jesus is saying, 
you will be, some of you will be arrested and you'll be brought into the local courts of justice. He also says that you'll be delivered to the councils and scourge you in their synagogues. The synagogues were the local church and according to Jewish law, uh, their understanding of the law of Moses, one could be flogged and that was okay according to their culture. They would do it 39 times. The Apostle Paul refers to that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, referring to his own life. Verse 24, he says, from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Five times he was beaten, he was scourged by the Jews. He was flogged. Now, 39 times, there's several ideas about why it's 39. Some say it wasn't an actual number 39, but it was the process so that one more and you'd be dead. Others say, no, it was 40, but they stopped at 39 to prove they were merciful. Either way, it'd be an awful thing. So Jesus says, you will be brought up to councils. They will scourge you in the synagogues. We go back to Matthew 10, verse 18. And you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. You will recognize these names, Pilate, Felix, Festus, Gallio, Herod Antipas, Herod Agrippa, they're all mentioned in the Bible. And people, Christians, are brought before them to stand a trial. You know from history the name Nero and you know the name Domitian. These were wicked Caesars and they uh, brought Christians in before them and they were compelled to appear. And if they did not bow to the Caesar as a god, they were killed. Verse 19, but when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. Now that is not saying to have a frivolous attitude about this, don't worry, just skip through life and you'll be fine. I believe that a person who has been arrested and they're going to appear in court has every right to think and think and think about what they can say and what they should say and when they should say it, how they should say it, and be saturating their thoughts with the Word of God and with His promises and knowing that full well when they get into the court, God's going to take over. And what they say will be more powerful and more clear than anything they could have thought of because God is going to speak through them and this would be an opportunity for the Lord to try to reach the people that are there in the courtroom. So we are to trust God and be humble. That's what Jesus is saying here. Verse 20, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Verse 21, now brother will deliver up brother to death and a father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Now, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, brought a sword 
with him. And his name, his followers, are so divisive that even family members will turn on each other at the mention of his name or the thought of someone following after him. Jesus said to those 12 men, verse 22, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Hated. You are not to be hateful in kind, but you will be hated. In 2 Timothy 3.12, let's look at it on the screen. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer persecution. You see, light and darkness can't dwell together. The Bible says that Jesus, the light, came into the world, but men rejected that light. They preferred darkness because of their sins. And so the very presence, Jesus is saying, of one of his followers in a family may be enough to cause a separation, even hatred, as we will read later, because they are like an unspoken yet loud conscience of what is right and what is wrong. So we continue reading verse 23 of Matthew chapter 10. And when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Well, that's a controversial verse. People argue over what it means. Some say, well, it's referring to the second coming and the cities of Israel is just kind of a metaphor for the world. Others say, no, it is the cities of Israel and it's talking about Jesus after the resurrection. Either way, we'll uh, move on. Verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? So Jesus being the household master and his followers here being his followers, but members of his household, if they call the master a demon, they will call those in the house demons as well. So by association with Jesus, these men were in trouble. It goes on. Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. One of the cries of the human heart is for justice. And so many things happen that are unfair and unjust. And Jesus is giving a word of encouragement to these 12 men saying, look, don't worry, there will be payday someday. And they will answer to what they say and what they do. We continue reading. He says, whatever I tell you in dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. I don't think he's referring to speaking in darkness Particularly, I think he's referring to things in secret. Whatever I tell you in secret, tell that in the light. Tell it to everyone, near and far, whoever will hear. Preach it on the housetops. Verse 28. 
And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Again, this is reflecting on the eternal instead of the temporal. Don't fear, he told those men, the person who can take your life. Fear God. He can cast you into hell. Now that is a big difference. Verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So as Jesus is talking to these 12 men, he's told them these awful things that they can expect to face, and then he's encouraging them. But, you know, if a sparrow falls, God knows it. And God knows every hair on your head. He'll be with you, and he will guide you, and he will understand everything you go through. Verse 31, do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows, verse 32. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And our hearts and our thoughts go immediately to Peter and how awful it must have been for him when he denied he even knew the Lord. Verse 34, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And some would say, well, that's one thing that's really happening. But that's not what Jesus has in mind here. He is talking about the presence of a righteous person and it does cause even families to be broken up. Verse 36, and a man's foes will be those of his own household. He goes on, verse 37, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Interesting verse, especially for those of you who are thinking heaven wouldn't be worth it if your children aren't there. You've made an idol out of your children, so maybe none of you will be there. This is extreme commitment. That's what he's asking of these 12 men. He goes on in verse 38, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. The cross is referring to enduring without complaint or regret, enduring the frown, ridicule, hostility of friends and relatives, to bear reproach of men with patience and with God in the heart. We go on. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. It's believed that Jesus met the person who finds his life is that individual who sets out to secure and enjoy what the world considers essential to happiness, all the temporary stuff. And Jesus mentioned, what good is it for a man to win the entire world and lose his soul? But the person who loses his life for my sake will find it. This is referring to someone who gives up that stuff in order 
to find life in Christ. There's a passage in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. In Hebrews 11, 24 and 25, it says, By faith, Moses, when he... A lot of persecution back then. But what about today? Is there any application to today? Um, are you aware that for three years in a row, each year sets a new record high of Christian persecution in, around the world? The last year, 5,000 Christians died as martyrs. 4,400 churches or Christian buildings were attacked, either burned or bombed. Over 6,000 Christians were arrested, imprisoned, or abducted. 340 million Christians live in places of very high or extreme levels of persecution. That's one in every eight Christian is today living in the danger of their lives. Countries like North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Yemen, Iran, Nigeria, India, people are being killed regularly only and simply because they serve Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to do some reading. I believe you'll find this very informative. The author is George Yancey, not Philip, George. George is a sociologist and professor of sociology at Baylor University. He's authored a number of books. Beyond Racial Gridlock, Embracing Mutual Responsibility. Hostile Environment, Understanding and Responding to Anti-Christian Bias. And he co-authored One Faith No Longer, The Transformation of Christianity in Red and Blue America. And he has another book that will be referred to in just a moment. He did a recent survey and he discovered about half of all Americans believe that evangelicals face discrimination. Now, we are evangelicals, in case you're wondering. Face discrimination. But some wonder if it's really persecution or discrimination simply because we've lost our place in the market. We are no longer a Christian country, if you haven't figured that out yet. But it has created a new term, Christianophobia, or the unreasonable hatred and fear of Christians. He did the survey, and he discovered and he wrote about it in his book, So Many Christians, So Few Lions. He wrote that 32% of all Americans like conservative Christians significantly less than other social groups. 
In comparison, about 31% of all Americans like Muslims significantly less than other social groups. What does this mean? It means if you're concerned about the anti-Muslim prejudice in this country, anti-Christian prejudice is higher. Now, we live in the Bible Belt, and we don't notice it so much. But you go east coast, west coast, northeast, and northwest, and you'll discover people who have never met a Christian. And people who are afraid of Christians. He writes that my research indicates that those with anti-Christian attitudes are more likely to be white, male, wealthy, highly educated, politically progressive, and irreligious. And these first four markers indicate individuals who have quite a bit of per capita social power. He will write about academia, where right now, if someone applies in a state school, they may have a PhD and they may qualify, but if they identify as a Christian, there's a small chance they'll be hired. He writes about media. And he demonstrates statistically how an event, an awful event, could happen to a group of Christians, and an awful event happened to a group of people who are non-Christians, and the Christians will not get any news media about it. Things have changed. Things have changed. So he wanted to know whether it's a mild disgust or an irrational hatred towards Christians. So he did another survey. And he did this survey to a group of progressive activists, white, male, wealthy, educated, irreligious, and progressive in their government. They were the type of people one would expect to exhibit Christianophobia, and they did. These were open-ended questions on the survey. Here are a couple of responses. This is how these people, this is how they feel about Christians. Kill them all, let their God sort them out. A torturous death would be too good for them. I'd be a bit giddy, certainly grateful, if everyone who saw himself or herself in that category were snatched permanently from our societal peripheries, whether by holocaust or rapture or plague. I am only too well aware of their horrific attitudes and beliefs, and those are enough to make me see them as subhuman. George Yancey goes on to describe, before a group of people can be singled out for hostility and outright persecution, discrimination, and all these bad things, they have to be identified as less than human. You only have to read a little bit of history to know 
that that has happened down through time. Just look, for instance, at Nazi Germany trying to eliminate the Jewish race. These were people, these Jewish people were not considered human. And just a little bit of reading and you'll discover that every war that we fought, the enemy was given nicknames to make them subhuman. So that the psychology of it was, I'm not killing another human being, I'm killing someone that's less than me, doesn't deserve to live. We are now in a society that is not supportive of Christianity. We are now in a society that is moving rapidly to the destruction of Christianity if they can do it. I don't know when, but I do know what's going to happen. Christians will be so opposed that those who are faithful to God will come to a place they will not even be able to buy and sell. And many of them will lose their lives. That is not in Africa, where most of these Christian martyrs are dying. That will be in this country. It will be throughout the world. There will be no escape for any of us. I'm reminded of a story. A, a man needed a job. He needed to provide for his family. And the only job available was to work for a company that was known to be very, very unchristian. They were vulgar. They were dishonest. They were every thing bad you could imagine, but they would pay him to work for him. So with fear and trepidation, he went to work, came home that day. His wife said, how did it go? He said, you know, it went pretty good. I don't think they even knew I was a Christian. You realize what he just said? This is, I mentioned this at the first service. I would much rather stand up here and tell a couple of jokes and have everybody laugh and leave in a good mood. But we're living in real time. This is now. This is not coming. This is here. Now I'd like you to look at the screen, let's go back to Matthew 5, verse 10. Watch carefully. Blessed are those who buy land where no one can find them in the time of trouble. <laughs> My apologies, I read it wrong. <laughs> Blessed are those who store up vigilinks you understand what I'm saying, don't you? The preparation for what is about to break free 
has nothing to do with storing up foods or being in a secret place where you can't be found. It has to do with your heart. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. None of us are going to do anything righteous unless Jesus is living in our heart. Do you get that? The struggle is there. Am I walking with Jesus? And am I walking with Jesus in a way that I'm willing to lose my job? I'm willing to lose my reputation. I may lose my home. I may lose my family. I may lose my life. Is that the type of experience I have? I will tell you, I've been walking with the Lord over 40 years, been pastoring for over 40 years, and I can honestly tell you today, I don't know if I have that kind of faith. I want it. I've had people critical of me. I've had people lie about me. I've had people try to take my job away. I've had all that. I've had my sleepless nights. I've had my pity parties. I've, you've been through it too. But I've never had a sword to my neck saying, Allah or Jesus, or whatever, whoever the persecution is going to come from. But I believe those days are coming. My appeal today is very simple. It's, is there anyone here who wants to tell the Lord, man, I want to dig in. I want to get serious. I want to be sober-minded about my experience in righteousness. I want to be right with God regardless of the cost. One thing we can say about Jesus, very honest, he's no bait and switch guy. He didn't promise us the moon and then say, oh, by the way, you got to carry a cross. It's right up front. It's all in for him or we're lost. So who wants to be all in? If you want to say that to the Lord, I invite you to stand. Father in heaven, these are sobering times. And yet you're God. You knew what those men would go through in Jesus' day, what the early church would go through, what the church through the Middle Ages, and what we're going to go through in our life. And our countless brothers and sisters in other places who are suffering today simply because they believe Jesus is their Savior. Lord, we want Jesus as our Savior, but we want him to develop within us a faith that can withstand the temptation to deny him in public. So help us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.